to lift our hearts to God and express our love to Him. We, and we're going to, this is a, this is a rehearsal. We're going to do this forever, by the way. We have so much to look forward to in Christ. Amen? I, uh, if you could turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is our main text this morning. And it's the Great Commission. This is a Mission Sunday at the Yorktown campus. They have a visitor that is preaching on missions. And, and uh, speaking of missions, my wife and our two children, we just returned from a mission trip uh, to the, not the state, but the country of Georgia. We were there in August for about two and a half weeks. And I just want to say, Coastal Deer Park, thank you so much for sending us. I wish I could hug you all. Thank you so much for sending us to a dark place in the planet. There between Asia and Europe lies a small country called Georgia, surrounded by Muslim countries that have been violent towards the gospel for a thousand years, but God is doing something beautiful there. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't stop me. Now, he didn't say if they want me there, I'll build my church. He said, I will, and he's doing wonderful things. And thank you so much for sending us. And, and we went primarily to uh, scope out the land and to encourage three missionary families. Now, and so we were able to visit them. And Coastal Deer Park, you sent us with four huge suitcases full of clothes and candy and kitchen utensils. And so we went to house to house to house and opened up those suitcases. And their children came along, and we had Christmas we had Christmas in August, three different times. And so thank you so much for sending us. We are an extension of this local body of Christ to bless the nations. Thank you so much. And uh, I, we are going to, um, as you leave today, you're going to get a little piece of chocolate from Georgia. And it's not just to nibble upon, but after you eat it, put the wrapper in your Bible as a prayer reminder to pray for the salvation of the peoples in Georgia and that surround that nation. You're going to hear a little bit about them today. And they live in darkness. We are surrounded with light. We've heard the gospel for so many years. Put this in your Bible, and, let's, and please pray for the salvation of the peoples of Georgia. Read with me, if you will, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. The Word of God says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father God, we thank you that in all your greatness and all your holiness, you still love us. Thank you, Father God, that you reached down from heaven through Jesus Christ, your Son, and you have rescued us not on our own merit or good works, but by the shed blood of Jesus Christ alone are we washed clean and made acceptable before you, the Holy One. Thank you that you sent Jesus down to rescue. And Jesus, you said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. May we be a people who are willing to go just as you came and take the love of God to lost humanity. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us now. By your Holy Spirit, take your holy word and plant it deep into our hearts, we pray. You are the living God. You're the God who speaks to your children. We pray that we would be children who have ears to hear this morning. And Would you give us humble hearts that obey you, the king of the universe, be the king of our souls. 
And so thank you, Lord, for the wonderful things you've done in our lives and what you're doing in this world. And thank you that you call us to join you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, I want to ask you to imagine something this morning. But what I'm going to ask you to imagine, I wish on no one in this place. But imagine that today is your last day of life, your last day on the planet. But you knew this ahead of time, therefore you were able to gather around you your loved ones and share with them your last words. What do you suppose your last words would be? Well, I believe I know they would be words that are of utmost importance to you and words that are very dear to your heart. And I share that to say this. You know, Jesus Christ himself, he had some last words to share with his loved ones, his disciples, right before he ascended back up into heaven after he rose from the dead. And what were his last words? The last words of Jesus were also words that were extremely important to him and dear to his heart. As a matter of fact, these last words of Jesus are like a window, a window that allows you and I to peer into the very heart of God and to see what his passion is, to see God's heartbeat and what matters to the creator of the universe and the creator of the human race. These last words of Jesus are a window allowing us to peer into God's very heart. And why do I say that? Because Jesus Christ himself said this, out of the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And these last words of Jesus, no doubt, flowed from the heart of God. And what were these last words? Jesus said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end, says the Lord. What was on, in the heart of God and on the heart of God before Jesus ascended into heaven? The salvation of every tongue and tribe and race on the planet. For God so loved the peoples of the world that he gave his only son to be crushed to death so that they could come into his family. What is the passion of God? It's the salvation of the nations, his glory among the nations. That's God's passion. And my question to myself and to all of us, is it our passion? Do the things that burden the heart of God, do they burden our hearts? May it be so. May it be so in an increasing way. And it's not, in just, it's not just in the Great Commission that we see this. If we want to know what's in the heart of God, we look at what comes out of the mouth of God. If we want to know what's in the heart of God, we look at what is written in the very Word of God. And it's not new in the Great Commission, but if we go to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, what did God say to Abraham in Genesis 22, 18? He said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, in your seed or through your descendants, what? All the nations, all the ethnicities of the earth, they will be blessed because you have listened to my voice. Missions is nothing new. When God was, was seeking a way to bring Christ to the earth through Abraham, he had the nations on his heart. The first book in the Bible. Go to the center of Scripture in, the, in, in uh, Psalms, Psalm 67. What does the Lord God say in Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2? The Bible says this, God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Now, why? Why would God bless us and cause his face to shine upon us? Verse 2, that your way may be known on the earth, 
your salvation among all ethnicities, all nations. Verse 6, the earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us. Why? Why does God bless you? That all the ends of the earth may worship him and fear him. Genesis, Psalms, Matthew, and all throughout the Gospels. The last book in the Bible, in the book of Revelation 7, 9, God the Holy Spirit gave a vision to the Apostle John, and what does he say? He says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. And if you know and if you know Jesus Christ this morning, not know about Christ, but if you know him personally, you will be in that mighty throng. Amen? And every tongue, tribe, and nation, we will be, be there worshiping him. And God, from the beginning to the end, has all the peoples of the world on his heart. And may they be on our heart as well. Well, let me ask you a question. How, since the, all the peoples of the world, and as we see in the Great Commission, we see the passion of God the Father, it's all peoples to be saved, that's his passion. How can we join him in seeing them saved? And I want to pause just for a moment, and I want to pause and say, and say um, why is it important that we realize it so in, it's on God's heart like it is? And I think it's for this reason. Because if we are not careful, missions becomes merely a church program. It's something that we, is, we emphasize from time to time throughout certain parts of the year. But my dear brothers in Christ, missions is not a program. It's the heartbeat of God. It's his passion. All the peoples of the world come to know his son, Jesus Christ. Whether we reach across the ocean or across the street, every ethnicity. Amen? And may we be aware of allowing it just to be merely a program. But I pray in the name of Christ that it becomes a passion in our hearts that changes the way we spend our money, that changes the way we speak, that changes the way we let our time be eaten up by a lot of things. Amen? May it be so. And, and I think it's, it's good to ask an honest question. How are we doing with the Great Commission as the church? Let's be honest. How are we doing? Well, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, make disciples of all the nations. But did you know today in a world of about 8 billion people, there are approximately 2 to 3 billion that do not even know there's a Jesus to believe in. They're not only lost, but they don't have access to the gospel. They're born in darkness, live in darkness, and they slip off into eternal darkness. And Jesus bled for them just as much as he bled for you and I. So how are we doing in, in the Great Commission? Two to three billion don't even know there's a Jesus. And if we look more closely at those two to three billion, there are, there's different estimates, but at least 3,000 unreached people groups within there. Three to four to 5,000 unreached, unengaged ethnicities with specific languages, etc. And they are lost. There's almost zero Christians, zero to nearly zero Christians. And in that lost mass of humanity of three to four thousand unreached people groups, two to three billion people, Jesus wants us to go to them as well. Now let's look. There's the problem. But let's look at the solution. Do you know who the solution is? 
God through you and through me. You got two to three billion lost. You got 3,000 unreached people groups. But how many born-again Christians do we have on the planet? How many hundreds of millions of born-again Christians? How many millions of evangelical churches do we have? Multiple hundreds of thousands of evangelical churches presently exist. But what is disturbing is that most of them have little involvement whatsoever in engaging the, the lost, the unreachable. Doing ba- most of them basically doing little to nothing to, to fulfill Jesus' last words. We do church life. We do a lot of other things. And, and if a fraction of the evangelical churches in the world, if only a fraction of them would engage some of these 3,000 unreached people groups, we would potentially have been able to, to complete the Great Commission 400 years ago. We have more than enough manpower, more than enough resources, more than enough technology, travel. You can go to the other side of the planet in 24 hours. More than enough resources, more than enough people. But what we lack is passion and vision and desire. But I believe God the Father wants to stir passion in us today. Amen? Passion that affects our feet and our hands and what we do. The Lord God Almighty wants to use us to reach the nations. And um, how might we join Christ in doing this? How might we? Now I want to share, that's the bad news and the sad news, but I also, also want to share some glad news. Not everybody is falling into this rut. There are multiple churches, thank God, that are beginning to awaken and beginning to join God in what he's seeking to do amongst the nations. For example, my father-in-law, who's in an evangelical church in South Carolina, a couple thousand members, a large church, and as I speak, do you know where he is? He is in a Muslim country that borders the country of Georgia, and he is gathering former Muslim, now Christian pastors and church planters, and he's loving on them, and he's encouraging them, and he's sending them out to start churches in that Muslim nation. As I speak, and, and I think of him, and I also think of Peninsula Community Chapel in Yorktown. They are engaging so many unreached people groups, it's amazing. And a lot of them I can't mention at this time because of security reasons. May God include Coastal Deer Park to do this very same thing. Amen? May we get involved. May we be a part of the, the movement of obedience to Christ's great commission. May it be so. And as we consider this, how can we practically join Christ and obeying him in the Great Commission? Well, one way is through prayer. Some people, maybe they don't have a lot to give financially, but they can pray. Some people, you may not have, uh, you may not be able to physically go. This thing's bugging me. I'm sorry, y'all. Excuse me. They don't have this in third world countries, by the way. Maybe you can't go physically, but we can get, we can pray. God calls us to be a people of prayer. You know, a prayerless church is a powerless church. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. And God calls us to join him. And one way we can do that is through prayer itself. You know, God has a passion for the nations. How about you? How about me? Do you know one way to develop the passion of God in our hearts? It's by this. One way to do it, one way to get the heart of God is to spend time in the presence of God in prayer. You want to get what's in God's heart? Get with God. Spend time before him. Let me tell you something that's impossible. To spend time seated at the feet of Jesus, truly seeking him, and remain the same. It's impossible. When you get in the presence of the Son of God, you change for the good. 
You change for the unselfish. You change to the sacrificial. That's who Jesus is, and that's what he does with anyone that truly draws close to him. We, we can join him by prayer. Prayer is paramount. The Bible says in uh, Acts 1.8, Jesus said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You shall receive power. You shall receive passion. You shall receive whatever it is he wants to give you as you draw near to God in prayer. Amen? Amen. Let me ask you a question. Who does the Holy Spirit give power to? I'm sorry? Does he give it to Christians? Have you ever known any weak Christians? Have you ever been a weak Christian? Now you just all have your hands up. <laughs> that's, ha- that's partly true. Let me tell you who the Holy Spirit gives power to. Not Christians. Praying Christians. Praying Christians. They were there together in the second uh, chapter of Acts, together in unity, crying out to God. Not microwave prayers. They were seeking God in a season of of looking to the Lord, and he came down and moved in power. And it's not just in the second chapter of Acts. If you go, Paul and Silas were in jail. They prayed and they worshiped. God sent the earthquake. You got the apostle Paul in in the Antioch church. He was praying with four other men, and they were seeking God and praying. And God, the Holy Spirit, spoke and said, send them out. And they turned the world upside down. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He is the living God. And he's looking for those who seek him with all of their heart. And if we seek him with all of our heart, he will allow himself to be found by us in greater measure, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I think about prayer. I'm reminded, uh, I was a missionary in Kazakhstan for about 22 years, and we started a, a Bible study in this town. Kazakhs are a Muslim people group, but they're coming to Christ by the thousands. Thank God. There's thousands of, there are hundreds and hundreds of Kazakh. Uh, church planters and pastors now. God's doing a wonderful thing. But in the mid-90s, we started a Bible study of about 30 people in this town, and we had to leave town. So we handed over the Bible study of 30 people to a, a missionary from South Korea, and he took that Bible study of 30 people and grew it into a church of 700 people. And they are sending out missionaries all throughout Kazakhstan and planting churches everywhere and sending missionaries out of Kazakhstan into Central Asia with the gospel to surrounding nations. Praise God, alcoholics set free from alcoholism and have become evangelists, adulterers repenting of their sin and loving their wives alone and healing families, drug addicts set free, church planters raised up. Wow, what happened? I'll I'll tell you a big part of it. Every single Friday night at 10 o'clock p.m., they would begin praying and worship and pray, pray in big groups, pray in small groups and worship. Till 6 in the morning, Saturday morning. They prayed from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. every week. And God showed up. I started turning things upside down. God blesses it when we pray. Amen? May we be a people who pray. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that uh, we have to start praying here at Coastal Deal Park from, from 10, a.m. To, uh, 10 p.m. to t- uh, 6 a.m. It might be a good idea, maybe at least for a couple hours. But the Bible says, devote yourselves to prayer, keep an alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. The Bible says, pray without ceasing. The Bible tells, calls us to that. That's our privilege. That's our power source. And so we can organize it in maybe dozens of different ways. In Coastal, in the three different campuses, I believe there are 90 different small groups. What if several of those small groups, what if all of those small groups were to adopt an unreached people group and pray for them on a regular basis? 
What if some of those 90 small groups would cry out to God to take the gospel into those places where darkness and Satan has blocked them from hearing the truth? Would God like that? Might God move? We're called to pray. And may we be a people of prayer. Not a powerless people, but a prayerful, prayerful people. When you leave today, you're going to get this, I mentioned that, you're going to get this chocolate thing, pray. Pray, pray. Another way we can join the Lord in addition to praying to fulfill the Great Commission is by going. He said, go ye therefore. Jesus the King said this. Now that can be long-term going, you know, and as we continue to follow God and try to follow his heartbeat as a church, no doubt he's going to call some people to go long-term. And when he calls, may we be willing and obey. Amen? He bought us with his blood. May we give him control of our lives. Go. Go long-term. In addition to that, we can also go short-term. That's one thing I like about Coastal. They are always taking short-term mission trips. Always going here, always going there. We just got back from one. If you haven't gone yet, go. Now, why is that important? Why Why might that be important? Here's one reason. You know, the Bible says that Jesus, it says he looked upon the multitudes, and they were like sheep without a shepherd, oppressed and beaten down. And it said, Jesus looked upon them, and what did he have? Compassion. He had compassion for them. You know, a lot of times you cannot get compassion from a book, maybe even from a sermon. But when you go and look at those people and look at what they live under and how they're harassed by the evil one and their need to know Christ, when you look upon them, God the Holy Spirit can birth in you a compassion. Not pity, compassion. And when there's compassion... It always leads to action. And so I encourage you to go. Join God and go. And you may come back to Newport News with a new compassion and passion in your soul. And you can let that in a holy way infect the whole church, infect the whole peninsula. We can join him as we go. You know, we, we went last, last month, and every time there's a goer, there's a sender. For everyone that goes, there's multiple ones that launched them. And you did that for us. Thank you very much. And I would just like to say that, to, to share with you some of the fruit that we saw during that trip. And uh, for, we were there in, in, um, in Georgia, and uh, we went outside of town, and we found a farm. And on this farm was a man from one of those, those uh, Islamic countries that surround. And a few years ago, he accepted Jesus Christ, so they beat him nearly to death they left him for dead leg broken and he crawled to this christian's house to the front porch in the middle of the night knocked upon the door and they rescued him and they got him out of town and now he lives in that farm and he and several others they are taking former muslims that have come out of those countries that have come to jesus christ and they are training them as church planters they are training them as pastors They spend half the day working in the field, and they spend half the day in the scriptures, reading the Bible. And while they're gathering their crops, they got a speaker, and someone's reading chapters out of the Bible as they gather the crops. And they're preparing to go to take the gospel of Jesus Christ back into their countries where a lot of people like us with an American passport cannot go. Thank God for what he's doing. You know, and they're training them how to do church planting, et cetera. And a few weeks ago, we got word that they, they, 
they had that church. They started out there in the farm, and people are getting baptized. Muslims are coming to Christ. It's a beautiful thing. And we found out that in the city, they went ahead and started another church. And they told their trainers, some of them from the West, we don't, no offense, but we don't, we don't need your help. We don't want your help. And they're just doing it on their own. And I could go on and on and on. But thank God for what he is doing in the nations. And he calls us to join him as we pray and as we go and as we give. And you know, and as I think about giving, I think about my own. I mean, I, here I am preparing this sermon. Have you ever prepared a sermon or a Sunday school lesson and you're getting convicted yourself? I think that's actually a good sign. But when I think about giving, I spend so much more money on going out to eat every month than I do to helping somebody in a dark culture see the light of Jesus Christ. So may God challenge us, and may he help us to be a, a people who go, pray, and also give. And when a, when a passion's in our heart, it will affect our finances, won't it? If we're honest, may we be a people who give. May we be a people who give. And, and so the heart, the passion of the Father is to reach all nations. But the plan of the Son, Jesus Christ, to reach them is making disciples. Look in the next verse, verse 19. What does Jesus say? Jesus' plan, his protocol, is that he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In that verse there are three verbs, and all verbs are not created equal, by the way. All verbs are not created equal. If we look at these three verbs, to go, to make, and to baptize, only one verb is a clear command or a clear imperative, and that is the verb to make disciples. It, ga it can be interpreted this way. As you go through life, no matter what you do, your occupation, your education, your ethnicity, as you go through life, a housemaker, an educator, it doesn't matter. As you go through life, make sure, make sure you're doing this one thing. I'm getting rid of this. Let's use this, guys. Let's go here. Make sure you do this one thing. Make disciples. Those other two verbs actually hinge on that one primary one. Do you know what's on the heart of God? Getting people into his family. Make disciples. No matter what you do in life, make sure you're doing this one thing, reprodu reproducing yourself spiritually. Go make disciples. It's the great commission. It's not the great suggestion. It's the great command. One of the great, it's the great commission of our Lord. And kind of look at, look at how he sets it up. In the preceding verse, he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. What did he just do, people? A few weeks earlier. What did he just do? Three days after being crucified, what did he do? He conquered death. All the authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm the king. I conquered death. I conquered the devil. I conquered sin. And now it's time to conquer the world. You go get after it. Go, I'm commanding you, go make disciples. He's setting it up. And the king, he has a right to command us of what to do with our lives, does he not? Yes, indeed. And he says, make disciples. No matter what introvert, extrovert, it doesn't matter. No matter what our spiritual gifting is, it doesn't matter. You got a gift of evangelism? It doesn't matter. You don't have to be a great teacher or preacher. You just have to live a great life. Just love God and love people. And share that with whoever God directs you to. Make disciples, Jesus said. 
I want to spend just a moment to ask ourselves this. What does it mean to make a disciple? Making a disciple is not just a weekly Bible study. Though that is very important that we're in the scriptures. A true disciple will love the word of God. And will feast. a growing disciple will hunger for the scriptures. That's important. But to make a disciple is much more than a week, weekly Bible study. It is a friendship. It is a relationship where you invest upon one another to grow in obedience to Christ. To become transformed in the image of Jesus Christ. You, be, you befriend someone. You have a relationship with one. How do you love your wife? What is your work ethic? How do you serve God joyfully? Resist temptation. How do you love difficult people? All the aspects of life, Jesus said, teaching them, modeling for them how to obey me. Making disciples. Obedience-based discipleship. Christ commands us to do that. You know, and I, let's say I'm, I uh, asked myself this question. Let's ask ourselves this question. Why would Jesus choose that strategy? The last thing he said, he could have said, he said, love, love everybody. Do good works. He could say evangelize. But what he said specifically and intentionally, it's not random. He said, make disciples. Why did he say that? Let's just compare the evangelist and the disciple maker for just a second. Let's say here at Coastal Deer Park, there are 10 people who are gifted in evangelism. And every day they led one person to Christ. At the end of a year, how many people will have come to the Lord? 3,650. Well, that's, that's good, wouldn't you say? Every day they win one to Christ. And after 20 years, these tens of evangelists leading one to Christ each day, how many individuals would have come to, to the Lord? 73,000. Now that's good. 20 years, 73,000 people coming to Christ. But let's look at the disciple maker. Let's say at Coastal Deer Park, there are 10 people. Now they're not good evangelists. Maybe half of them are really shy. And that's okay. That's okay. But they're not good evangelists. But they are committed to Christ's command to make disciples. And in that first year, they didn't lead somebody to Jesus every year, but they invested in one person. And after helping them come to Christ or reignite their relationship with Christ, they spent time with them and taught them how to get into the scriptures and how to pray and how to love people, how to resist sin, how to, how to be a man or a woman of God. And they poured into them, spent time with them for the entire year. And at the end of that first year, those 10 disciple makers, how many would they have? Well, they'd have 20. And as each one reaches one in the following year, invest in their disciple. And a part of that is to let them know that you need to find your disciple as well. At the end of two years, 20 grows to 40. At the end of 20 years, how many people would you have? 10,485,760, not Christians, disciple makers, laborers. I wonder if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, when he gave the, the Great Commission, I wonder if he was aware of the principle of exponential growth through multiplication. Yes, indeed he was. It was his plan. His plan. Make, make disciples. Make sure you're doing that. It, in Genesis, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Biological children. In Matthew 28, he's saying to us, be fruitful and multiply. Reproduce yourself spiritually. That's what God calls us to do. That's what the Lord is calling us to do. And let me, so let me ask you this question, beloved. Let me ask you this question as your brother in Christ, as one of your pastors. With that in mind, what is your disciples' name? What are your disciples' names? 
Let me ask you this. Your disciple, what are they struggling with in this season of their lives? What are some of their victories? Have they found their disciples yet? What is your disciple's name? And for some of you, you, and it can be your family members as well. Let's don't exclude that. But for some of you, there's several people you're working with. Their names are in your mind right now. God bless the work of your hands. But there may be some here today that you're drawing a blank because maybe you're not investing in someone. Let me encourage you. Ask the Father, who do you want me to invest my life in? Ask God, who do you want me to disciple? And if you do, he will. Amen? There's one last principle I see, and, and I, I, uh, just quickly. We see the passion of the Father. We see the plan of the Son to implement it through disciple-making. But in the last part of this, these verses, we also see the promise of his presence. Jesus says this in verse 19. He says, he says teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As you step out in obedience to obey me, the Lord is saying, I am with you and I will help you and I will guide you and make you fruitful. I am with you even to the end of the age. I, I mentioned that and I think one thing we can learn from that is this. It's that ultimately making disciples, it's not dependent upon us. Making disciples is not dependent upon you. Now we do have to obey but it's not dependent upon us. Jesus, he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end of history. And Jesus is the beginning and the end of the Great Commission. He says, all authority has been given to me. Do this thing. And he ends it with saying, and I will be with you every baby step of the way. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The Lord who commands us to do this is the same Lord who promises to be with us and help us do it. He's more committed to this than we are, for sure. He's with us, people. He's with us. And he's committed to helping us and working through us as we step out in obedience to him. May we realize that the presence of Christ is with us in an increased and manifest way when we give our lives to invest in other people and help them know Christ and help them pass it forward. He is with us every baby step of the way. So let me ask you a question. In this process, in this journey, in these baby steps, where are you? We, we want to be a people that not, are not only hearers of the word, but we want to be people who are doers of the word. Amen? Amen. To do what the king says. To obey Christ. So let me ask you this. How might you, how might we apply this to our lives this morning? One possible way would be maybe, God, who is my disciple? Who do you want me to invest in? I encourage you to pray to that end. It might be, God, would you have me go on a short-term mission trip so that I can see what you see and get a passion and compassion for what burdens your heart, Heavenly Father? A short-term mission trip. And there may be someone here today, you say this, I can't make a disciple because I'm really not sure if I know Christ. I haven't connected with Jesus yet. Well, you can. You can do that today. Uh, do we have prayer counselors? Can you raise your hand? We got some. There's one over here, Dan, and there's one here in the front. And, and we're, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song and close. And when we do, raise your hand, gentlemen, and, and again. Maybe stand up for just a second and turn around. 
See, if you want to have somebody pray for you about any of these things, especially to receive Jesus Christ, I seek these fellows out. Or you can go to Pastor Joey or myself, and we'll be happy to pray for you. Because we want to obey the Lord and what he says. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, again, we simply thank you for reaching down from heaven to rescue us at great, great pain to yourself. And Jesus, King Jesus, you did say, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Help us be a people that honor the King. Burden our hearts for what burdens your heart, Lord. Change our hearts, we pray. Make them uh, more like you in your heart, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.